Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Wrestle Kingdom Reasonless. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, your favorite gaijin. I'm joined by my junior heavyweight tag team partner, as always, Eric Green. Eric, what's going on, man? Um, I'm home. There was a while on Sunday where it looked like I might not get home. And among other effects that that would have had, it might have delayed this here podcast. So just delighted to be here and talking to you, my friend. How was Wrestle Kingdom? It was... Or how is Wrestle Kingdom? Is it still going? No, it's done. It was only two nights. Okay. So the way... So one night, one was like Friday, late Friday slash early Saturday, however you want to call it that. So Saturday night in Tokyo. Yes. It was in Tokyo. We did not watch that. We we managed to avoid all spoilers. Yes, it's at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. We managed to avoid all spoilers and then watch both nights back to back after the Raptors Nets game. How many hours was that? Uh, we skipped a couple of the like meaningless multi-man tag matches, but I think the parts that we watched were nine hours. Okay. So just And like then everyone a... was also over for the Nets Raptors game, so it was about twelve hours total. Uh yeah. So about the length of a WrestleMania. Yeah. Plus the uh you know, some some Buffalo Bills action mixed in I, which you wrote I, about from Brooklyn. Yeah, I uh I gathered that, given your uh, television situation, what you described to me uh, yeah. as we were DMing. We, we had to briefly, briefly bump the Raptors to the number two screen because the Buffalo Bills were collapsing in epic fashion. We're about to take a number two. Yes. Or in the process uh, Is of Mike Kareen okay? I, I complimented him yesterday on his um, restraint in restraint? not tweeting about it. Uh, I, I believe his direct quote or i'm gonna paraphrase it was that one is as bad as any of the other losses but i'm used to it by now so that's that's where he is that seemed to be the popular attitude like you did a piece with jack arm uh with jack armstrong coming off the raptors nets game about his interesting situation being a diehard bills fan and longtime season ticket holder and having to juggle calling the raptors game while the bills were going through this collapse and his attitude seemed to be kind of the same of just like you know what get it being a bills fan gets you ready for it yeah um and i uh, he remained optimistic about the future which there are logical re- there are logical reasons to be optimistic about the future But then there's also the fact that they're the Bills and logic goes out the window. And while you can convince yourself that, oh, they have like all this defensive talent and uh, they have tons of cap room and guys who have built the team smartly, they also have a question mark at quarterback and they're the Bills. So it sort of leads you to think illogically. (laughs) Um, You know, except for the quarterback part. The quarterback part, uh, who does that sound like? The unreasonableist? I was going to say the Jacksonville Jaguars the year that they beat the Buffalo Bills. Yes. Oh, um, they're young. They have cap space. They have a great defense. We just got to see if Blake Bortles will figure it out. Yeah. Um, if we're watching some great pod or television comedy in five years and somebody's yelling, Josh Allen, um, it, it's not implausible. Yeah. It's a tough one. I don't know. But hey, look, things turn around. Yes. You're not doomed to repeat the past. For example, you may be a fan of a team that was 
basically and also ran for 20 years and then over the span of about five turned things around to become an NBA champion. Yeah, that could have happened. Could have happened. Those champions, by the way, have had their hearts underestimated a lot of late. <laughs> um, they are they're hanging in okay, your, your defending champion Toronto Raptors, since half the roster got hurt. They are, what are they, six and four over the 10 games that Pascal Siakam, Marcus Gasol, and Norman Powell have all missed. Uh, Matt Thomas and Dewan Hernandez also on the shelf for those. They split a two-game trip in Miami and in Brooklyn where you were, Eric. Uh, how how was the trip? Other than They are, the I should like correct you, including the Detroit game, they are five and four. It's only been nine games so far. Um, uh, unless yes, I am, not uh, including the Detroit game. Yes. Yeah, that's... I said one thing, but meant the exact opposite. Yes, I don't know why I included the Detroit game in my head. Those guys all got hurt at the very end of the game. Except for Gasol. Gasol yeah. got hurt in the first quarter. So they're five and a half and four. Yes. Um, how was the trip? The trip was interesting. Um, I, I mean, from a content perspective, I wrote a few things that were different from, uh, you know, writing about David Stern's impact on the Raptors to... The aforementioned Jack Armstrong piece, uh, which was something I sort of had in my mind heading into that night. And if the Raptors, I think if the Raptors lost, I would have had to write about them, especially the way it was going in the first quarter and a half. I would have had to write about that because it might have been, you know, not panic time, but panic adjacent time. Um, but it was something I had in my mind in case the Raptors put in a good performance. So from that perspective, it was good in two, you know, fun cities. Uh, from the basketball perspective, I also think it was interesting. Like, you know, the Miami game was definitely an eye-opener, and um, we'll get to it in a bit, but that was one of the worst, you know, offensive performances I've ever seen. And the Brooklyn game spoke to uh, a bunch of things, but largely the hearts and minds of, the starting backcourt, uh, and it was a vintage Lowry Van Vliet game and, and was pretty cool stuff. My one complaint about the Nets game is that with the Kyle Lowry, Kyle, uh, Jared Allen getting the arms tangled thing, people who are not wrestling fans and who make fun of wrestling fans don't get to make bad wrestling jokes when moves almost get hit in basketball games. You're not good at it. You don't, you haven't earned it. Leave it to the pros. I might be talking about one person in specific. Me? No, not you. Are, are you okay? I was refer. I I called it like a. It was almost a hip toss. Like, is that accurate? Like, that seemed like the move he might have. Uh, not really. Off. He was definitely popping the hips. Um, but yeah. you would have you would have um, control of the head and neck for a hip toss generally. Okay. Well, the subscribers will have to live by it. Yes. I'm thinking of one person in particular who referred to it as a cross-faced chicken wing, which oh. well, I can't he's not very how you even got there. He's not very reasonable, so uh, yeah. I wouldn't... If you wouldn't make fun it. of wrestling fans, you don't get to make the wrestling jokes when they present themselves. Leave yes. it to the pros. There's a whole Seinfeld bit about that, about a, a whole religion. By the way, um, the movie... Which on wrestling, for, pro wrestling is a religion of its own, so, you know... The move he was going for was clearly the vertebraker, Shane, Sugar Shane Helms' finisher from WCW before he joined WWE and became the Hurricane. 
obviously. Yeah. Obviously, how, how, can, how could nobody have thought of that uh, and seen that? How, how could anybody see anything else? Is beyond me. Um, I don't understand. Had you been writing off this game, you really could have broken it down. Um, I could have. Yeah. Anyway, unfortunately, you were watching actual pro wrestling. Yes. And, and taking a well deserved of the year. and and taking a well deserved game off. Yeah. I mean, it just, I don't think there was a need for both of us to write off a Saturday night game when you were there. No, I agree. And I, I had agree. my oral history of Danielle Marshall's 12 three-point night coming out on Monday. Yeah, it's out. It's good. That was fun to Read do. Read it. I'd never done yeah. an oral history before. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's uh, I haven't done many, but I've done a few. Uh, I did one on the Drake shot at Kentucky, and I, I've done... <laughs> I think a few here that haven't necessarily been classic oral histories, but have turned into that sort of, I've used that format at least. And um, yeah, it's an interesting format of uh, uh, ex- interesting process to try and turn other people's words into a story and, and only insert yourself when, when absolutely necessary. If you are a non-subscriber, that would be a fun one to check out on your seven-day free trial. Or if you want to go to theathletic.com slash we the six S-I-X uh, for a discount off a subscription. Because it's, I think, turned out pretty well. Yeah, it's fun. It's, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, I don't really, I'm not generally the best judge of my own work. But it was fun to put together. I talked to Danielle. I talked to Milt Palacio and Ray Ferralston, uh, Sam Mitchell, Kyle Korver, who is the last remaining active 76er from the team that he dropped he dropped uh 12 12 threes against by the way uh producer tyler is letting me know that it's we the six the number six not six sorry guys theathletic.com slash we the number six you think um, i would have plugged it enough times by now to know now i once had a dream i might have even said that in this podcast i had a dream featuring milk palacio and we were playing poker in my friend's basement and it was just a normal poker game um, was he good? I don't remember. I do not know. Um, it's it's not even worth saying. I just thought it was a weird enough thing to comment on. Uh, and that was before I was writing about the Raptors. I have problems. You know who? So, Daniel Marshall hits 12 threes in this game, which is double the number of threes that the Toronto Raptors hit Thursday in Miami. Toronto Raptors went 6 of 42 From outside the arc, that is the third worst three-point shooting night in NBA history on 40-plus attempts. It is the worst shooting night in franchise history on any more than 27 attempts. Even if we lower the threshold for volume at a league level, I believe it's the seventh worst shooting night on uh, 35-plus attempts. It's a top 20 worst shooting night on 30-plus attempts. What I'm saying is, even as the volume of threes has exploded league-wide and the three-point percentage around the league has remained mostly stagnant over the years. Nobody, except for on a few very rare occasions, has shot quite as bad from three-point range as the Toronto Raptors did Thursday. Eric, did you have a physical reaction to watching the Raptors go 6 of 42 from what I assume are pretty good media seats in Miami? Uh, we're sort of up a bit, but at, at center court, so it was actually a very good view of, of things. Um it didn't seem that bad for a long time. Um, and what I mean by this is that 
it really felt like to me in the moment that the zone and to backtrack Miami played zone for uh, you know a two two one or two three whatever Six. you want to call it. Uh, it looked like for the better part of three quarters and maybe more than that, they were just in zone every possession, which you don't see very often. According to Synergy. Okay. Uh, so I'm guessing that's about two thirds of the game. Um, it was, it was probably a slow game. There was very little in transition, uh, for either team. It looked like, uh, and it really looked like the zone impacted them and and impacted their playmaking. And, and now I know I read your story, your very thoughtful analysis of it the day after, uh, and they did just miss a lot of open shots, but it put the ball in different guys' hands. OG Ananobi actually looked pretty good uh, catching the ball at the nail or the free throw line and and making plays, and that's where some of the open misses came off of. Uh, but other than that, uh, it looked like the Raptors just lost their rhythm and I don't want to ascribe, you know, a reason for that. But to me, it just looked like guys had the ball in positions they weren't comfortable with. So I wasn't focusing so much on the shots that were being missed, but on the how they were getting them, if that makes sense. And then when you go back and see how bad the percentage is, like, obviously I knew the percentage was pretty bad, but when you look at it, I was like, oh, that's historically bad. But it wasn't yes. my first reaction to watching that game live. Yeah, I so I believe it was the third worst above the break shooting night of all time. They were one of 24. I believe they shot only... <laughs> Who has, so I assume somebody, uh, there's been like 0 for 27s or something. Yeah, I think, I can't remember who tweeted it. I couldn't find the tweet to include in my article. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was bad. Uh, like you said, I broke it down in an article that no one read because nobody wanted to relive it uh, called Analyzing the Raptors' Historically Poor Shooting Performance Against the Heat Zone Coverage. Uh, within that, a few stats. The Raptors did do a decent job creating open looks they took 18 wide open threes uh, as classified by nba.com which they've shot 43 percent on this year and they hit three of them this time they also created a season high 18 corner three attempts which we know are the better corner three attempts and, and tend to drop at a pretty good rate the team has shot 38 percent on those on the year they were five of 18 even a guy like terrence davis goes over five and that's probably why he's not on the court down the stretch as the Raptors try to complete the comeback, even though his willingness to shoot and in Nick Nurse's terms, how quickly he vaults up is really useful uh, for going against the zone. So all in all, Miami used the zone for, according to Synergy Sports, 63 possessions over which the Raptors managed just 40 points. That Ooh. is more zone possessions than 17 teams used all of last season. Wow. It a was lot. a lot of zone. A lot of zone. Yeah. And it's something that makes sense against a team lacking a creator and out, uh, you know, three competent to very good three-point shooters. I mean... All four it, of the injured guys would have helped in their own way. Yeah. Oh, I, I wasn't even including Matt Thomas, who could be back as early as Tuesday against Portland, but that's getting... Yes, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to find out something. I'm heading to practice after we finish recording this. Uh, I believe today is the day Matt Thomas is being reevaluated, seeking clearance for contact, so... We all want clearance for contact. Uh, yeah. That, that sure. wasn't... Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it was bad. And, uh, and it looked like it was going to continue in Brooklyn. <laughs> they started, yeah, uh, they, they started, started what, one, one for one for 11, I believe. Jeez. Um, and there was not as much zone, but some zone involved again, Brooklyn is, is fairly comfortable playing that way. And Lowry was missing. Van Vliet was missing. Uh, the role guys were missing. Uh, so it, it was looking pretty bad for a quarter and, you know, almost a full half. Uh, they went down 16 with three, three and a half minutes to go. And within my my Jack Armstrong story, uh, he mentioned that they called a timeout just before that when they had gone down thirteen, and Jack Armstrong said on the broadcast apparently like either the Raptors are going to get blown out now or they're going to respond, and uh, they responded. Yeah, they sure did. That piece was so much fun. I love Jack. Jack's yeah, best. no, it's happy uh, birthday, Jack. Uh, yeah, I was turned 57 on Friday, got to do so, uh, in Miami and then on an airplane and then in his hometown of Brooklyn. Um, there you go. So I'm sure he had a, a decent night. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I think he was, he, I don't want to say had to, cause he was not complaining about this, but there were some corporate sponsors in, uh, in the house that Jack had to, uh, entertain. Infotain, entertain, amuse, uh, regale with stories. Um, so that took up part of his night. But, you know, I, I, Jack just so genuinely loves being with people, it seems, that he probably would have liked that a lot more than we would have liked, for example. Yeah. I mean, I spent my weekend with people, but also the people highlight of the weekend was dog sitting, which is way better than people. Yeah. People you know, though, not yes. like corporate sponsors like imagine if we had to uh entertain the athletics uh you know some of the investors that, oh, that i thought you were gonna say i thought you were gonna say subscribers like man we do subscriber events yeah no no like some of no that would be that's fine we we love our subscribers. yeah plus all our subscribers at this point are close personal friends so yes um but if, it's a terrible idea for us to entertain those the uh investors is what we're learning right now yes so some of the there were not a ton of bright spots in the Miami game. However, from a process perspective, the Raptors at least did some things okay. Serge Ibaka took more shots than people would like to see him take because that mid-range area was open to him and he was able to work on the offensive glass. You kind of just have to accept that against the heavy zone usage. He did not shoot particularly well on those shots. Um and as much as it seemed like he was all over the offensive glass, three offensive rebounds against the Miami zone is not, you know, probably not enough. Second chance points was probably the one area the Raptors did take advantage, though. Um, carrying over into the Brooklyn game, Serge Ibaka felt it a little bit more. He had 21 points on 15 field goal attempts. He had five offensive rebounds. Uh, nice, strong bounce back game for him. Most notably, I think, was late in the Miami game, after having used Serge Ibaka in the middle of the floor around the nail and having used Rondé Hollis-Jefferson in that role, all while OG Ananobi spaced out to the three-point line, which makes sense because Ananobi is the best three-point shooter of those three and, you know, one of the guys who will take those shots without a ton of hesitation, which is necessary. The Raptors moved to trying OG Ananobi in the middle of the zone. He is at least not established as as good a passer as Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and obviously not as good in floater range or on the offensive glass as Serge Ibaka. 
However, he looked incredibly comfortable there. I've always thought his playmaking instincts were a little bit underrated, and we've got to see that a little bit more this year. Um, playing the kind of center of the zone where he presents himself or sets a screen and then receives a pass and then has to immediately kick it out to the perimeter. Ananobi had three assists down the stretch against uh, Miami, and I thought probably could have had three or four more if guys were hitting their shots. He looked really comfortable there, and they use him there again a little bit against Brooklyn. Not a gangbusters game for OG. He had seven points, three rebounds, and an assist. Um, but I thought, you know, process-wise, seeing him to continue to make those good reads and those good passes from that position, a position he hasn't played a lot historically, uh, was a pretty encouraging sign from mostly from the Miami game and also from the Brooklyn game a little bit. And then, of course, in the Brooklyn game, the Big difference if you want to get super productive is that Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet went from shooting two of 23 on threes to shooting 10 of 20 on threes. Yeah, that'll help. <laughs> um, sure will. They were really good. Uh, I mean, the easy thing to do is point out to that Lowry, Jared Allen skirmish we we mentioned, and he uh, was not having a great offensive night uh, before that, although I, I think his transition three at near the end of that second quarter when as the Raptors cut the lead from 16 to four by halftime uh, was a hum- huge moment in the game. Um, but uh, from then on out, he was really excellent, sort of a, a vintage Kyle is everywhere type game performance. And uh, Fred Van Vliet too. Uh, I mean, it's not like the Nets don't have capable, competent guards like Spencer Dinwiddie and and Joe Harris and Karis LeVert was back. Uh, that's, you know, that's not nothing. Those are all pretty good players. And the Raptors dominated on, on that end. And uh, look, I mean, it's not that complicated right now. The Raptors' two best scorers are, you know, six-feet guards. And if they have rough nights, it's going to be tough for them to win. So as they got going, so did the Raptors. And uh, yeah, I I do think the process continued to improve against the zone and then against more traditional defense. But it's hard to look past those final numbers and say, hey, what changed is that Kyle and Fred took control of the game, both in terms of making shots and sort of dictating pace and, and sort of making all the right reads. They also forced a bajillion turnovers. Oh, yes. Yeah. A lot 20, of, 20, 25, 24. 24. Yeah. 24 turnovers and a plus 11 offensive rebound edge. So they had, they got 28 additional shooting possessions, which yeah. when you're in a slump is a good way to get through a tough game. And then when you heat up is the reason that what was a close game that saw you behind by 16 at one point becomes a 19 point victory. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of it, extra shooting possessions. I wonder how, like, what the most shooting possessions that a team has had, like, or the biggest shooting adva- possessions advantage that a team has had that they've wound up losing. Because we I might can have find had out to, if you want to we, talk about something else in the end. No, no, it's okay. But we might have, we might have had to look that up had the Raptors lost that game. But in the fourth quarter, they were pretty much not in danger of losing that game. Um, yeah, I mean, an encouraging. An encouraging response to, to you know, a, a really significant offensive drought. They are overall, since the injuries, they're 19th in offensive rating. You want to guess what that offensive rating is, or do you know? No, I don't know offhand. It's 109, which 
like a few years ago would have been like fifth in the league in in offensive rating or something. Uh, like not like even in this era, it would have been pretty good. So it's just like it's just funny to me that that is now disastrous. Uh, I although, have an answer for you, by the way. Although Minnesota and Atlanta are below a hundred uh, in that uh, in that same time span, and Brooklyn's right at a hundred. So it's not like they're playing some bad basketball right now. What's the answer? I don't know if this is the absolute record, but it was the first yeah. major one that I could find. In 2002, the Rockets beat the Jazz by seven points, despite Mm -hmm. the Jazz having an 18 offensive rebound edge and a 12 turnover edge. So 30 additional shooting possessions, and they lost by a seven. Wow. Not easy. What did Utah Utah shoot from the floor? 44%. What? What did but Houston they were shoot one of from 11 on, <laughs> They were one of 11 on threes. Yeah, Houston shot 61%. Yeah. And Houston was 7 of 12 on threes, which at that point in time in 2002, you got buried by threes. This was not 2005 when stretch fours, stretch fives were hitting 12 three-pointers. This taking was, 19 three-pointers. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Like, that he t- like, obviously, to hit 12, you'd have to take a... You would assume he didn't go 12 of 13 or anything, but... Yeah. Just knowing it was 2005 and somebody took 19 three-pointers in the game, like that had to be up in there for... In 28 minutes. Yeah, that had to be up there for most three-pointers taken in a single game at that point by any one it player, sure too. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll stop plugging our own content at some point in this podcast. I do want I do want to... Well, I mean, that's part of the reason of the podcast. Yeah, but, you know, we're, we're making it pretty overt today, which is fine. You'll get what we yeah. give you, subscribers. Or what Walter gives you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a good shake. It's a good shake, and now he, he's looking He's looking for somebody to take him out, I think. There you go. Well, we've only got a little bit of time left. Take yourself out, Walter. All right, Eric. Uh, so the Raptors bounce back. They beat the Brooklyn Nets. They may get some positive injury news Monday on Matt Thomas. Then they have a weird week with, like, actual time to practice. So they played Saturday, they took an off day Sunday, they'll practice Monday, then of course they have a travel back-to-back, because why wouldn't you? And then they have three days off before they play again next, uh, one which will be a mandatory day off coming off a back-to-back, but some actual time to practice this week. Did you get the impression, I know that Nick Nurse has said consistently, and said while you were on the road, that Powell is ahead of Gasol and Siakam, and Gasol and Siakam are still, quote, a ways away, but do you get the impression that Norm is, like, imminent? to return or it's still like still a couple weeks, but he's on the earlier end than the other two. Uh, so I, I want to say, I don't know. First and foremost, um, my guess is when he says Norm is ahead of the others, it would be like a week to a week and a half, something like that. Um, Sorry, a week to a week and a half away or a week to a week and a half ahead of the others away. And maybe ahead of the others. Although I, from what I gather based on the nature of their, their injuries Gasol and Siakam just sort of have to reach a point that could come at any time like Mark Gasol was moving pretty well from what I saw and it's just a matter of him being able to move side to side which is (laughs) uh and that is a hard thing to predict uh, especially and you know I'm sure they'll play it cautious given that 
Gasol turns 35 this month, I believe, and just played the most basketball, almost the most basketball that anybody could play in a single single calendar year. He uh, he played. So uh, he should have been at Summer League, too. That really would have made it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I, I think they're just those two are just more up in the air and they're going to, given Gasol and the importance of Siakam, they're certainly going to be cautious before anything else. Uh, but I would guess, and uh, and as I noted in my article about the heavy usage of Kyle Lowry on Sunday, which you should read at uh, theathletic.com slash Toronto or NBA or the Eric Corrine author page. Um, of all more- the author pages to go to, why would I, that's not the one I would pick. Yeah, uh, we would we would all go to Keith Laws, um, who's, <laughs> who's now breaking down baseball for the Athletic. Really? Um, yeah, no, that, that was announced today. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, um, Norm Powell last year had the same injury, and if you remember, they said at about the three week point, oh, Norm's way ahead of schedule, and he could be coming back any time now. And he ended up missing more than six weeks. So uh, it's possible that there's a setback between now and the next week, week and a half, which is a timeline I'm mostly making up for just based on feel. Uh, So don't just assume he's going to be back in, you know, three or four Raptors games. Uh, But that was my sense of things. Cool. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope it was uh, convoluted and wordy enough, and and that I ha- and I hedged my bets enough because people don't want clear, concise statements in audio; they want uh, fumbling, uh, you know, half statements. I think. Sure. I'm sure Tyler will sure. confirm this after the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing here, man. Um, so the Raptors have. A week ahead where they play, they host the Portland Trailblazers and then play against the Charlotte Hornets. What I'm curious about, if we assume that no one is back or if we assume that if Matt Thomas comes back, he'll come off the bench, which I think is the logical assumption. We look at the Portland Trailblazers. uh, I want to talk about the starting lineups, basically, because Nick Nurse did the one game change to start Rondé Hollis-Jefferson over OG Ananobi last week. He mentioned that more changes could be coming. Portland is a team that I look at and I think... Of all the teams that they've run into, Portland is the team where a OG and Rondé starting lineup might make some more sense. Um, Portland has been starting Mello at the four, not the three, really. Uh, but they all because CJ with CJ McCollum out, they also have Kent Bazemore and Gary Trent. So while they're not huge, uh, you know, Gary Trent and Kent Bazemore are not like enormous by guard or wing standards. I think they're probably going to go McCaw here because I think they'll they'll like the option to throw McCaw, Van Vliet, and Lowry all at Lillard, and they won't fear uh, Bazemore or Gary Trent beating any of their guards. But it would be a game where I wouldn't mind having the extra body for Whiteside and Carmelo Anthony. Whiteside being an elite offensive rebounder and Carmelo Anthony being a guy who, even if he's past his prime noticeably at this point, uh, can still get you a bucket, and you might want to throw different looks at him over the course of a game. Yeah, I predict they stick with McCaw. Uh, The Raptors' bigger problems right now are offensively. uh, And now it can be debated whether having McCaw out there 
is actually the best solution for those offensive problems or the best of the given uh, of the available solutions or uh but i think that's the way he's gonna stick for now um by the way, sorry, I should just correct myself here. Uh, McCollum's only been out with an illness, so it's entirely possible that he's back for Tuesday anyway, in yeah. which case you'd have another small-ish guard there rather than one of Trent or Bazemore. Yeah. So, sorry. yeah, my prediction is he sticks with McCaw. Um, he did say, and it looked like heading into the Miami game, that both OG and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson were going to start, and he eventually did not do that, uh, just for the, you know, creation and and offensive reasons you would expect. And then they produced a truly offensive night. So <laughs> not that it was specifically Patrick McCaw's fault. In fact, he hit one open three-pointer, which put him in a different category than many, uh, many of the Raptors. Charlotte would be a similar thing where Miles Bridges is effectively their starting three. He's six foot six. P.J. Washington is a fun challenge at the four. And then they start two sort of traditional point guards in Terry Rozier and my guy, Devontae Graham, who's having just the most fun season and might make me look past my no sophomores thing when I make my hypothetical most improved player ballot because he's gone from a guy on the fringe of the league to being like a borderline all-star in 30 seconds. So you're going to take on... You're going to allow him and not Luca, and I do understand the reasoning. But don't get me wrong. But like what he's doing screams most improved to you more than Luca, uh, because Luca, I assume to you has like obviously he's great and he's doing more than what we thought. But it's more of a natural progression, even still, than somebody like Graham who went from nothing to really, really good. In, yeah, in and minute. look, I'm just saying this off the cuff as we look ahead no. to the Hornets game. We must do an uh, award, really a like... proper awards ballot right now. Yes. I promised you if I actually had a vote, I would be tracking and more closely and have a set of criteria that I would hold myself to. But here in the middle of the season, just talking uh, about an upcoming matchup, I'm happy to just say Devontae Graham would be in the mix for my most improved player. Especially now that the Raptors' million candidates for it all keep getting hurt or slowing down. So, Yeah, so sad. It is sad. Um, the Hornets are not very good, but they are at least fun from a Devontae Graham perspective and a Bismack Biombo starting center perspective. Yeah, and look, the injuries, and, and maybe today at practice we'll hear that a bunch of guys didn't practice, um, but... You know, Fred Van Vliet had to pull himself from the game against Brooklyn with a sore back. back. He's also has a finger issue that he's had since New Year's Eve. Uh, Serge Ibaka uh, sort of hurt his ankle, the one that cost him 10 games. He said he was fine after the game. But in between, he has gotten on an airplane and come home, which uh, not the coming home part, but getting on an airplane is sometimes not good for... Um, the rehabilitation of injuries or, or, you know, the recovery from injuries. And Kyle Lowry, uh, for a minute there, it looked pretty bad uh, against Miami. And it turns out it was not much of anything. But uh, he was lying on his back, Steve Nash styles. Or no, did Steve Nash lie on his front or back during... Back, uh, I'm pretty Yeah, sure. so while he was out against Brooklyn, 
uh, and he played 43 minutes, so he wasn't out for very long. Uh, he was lying on his back for a while. I, I don't know if that's anything or if it's nothing. I would bet that it's something. Um, these guys are pretty banged up. Yeah, about Lowry and Van Vliet, like I know you wrote about it over the weekend. I really hope that they're being truthful and earnest when they say once they get guys back, they are going to get their minutes down. Because I, I know that minutes per game is not the only data point that the team is working off of. It's just the only data point that we have to observe. Well, along with uh, like usage, like, yeah, usage to sort of see like, and not that that's yes, a very how, good one. How much yeah. a toll those minutes are taking. Anyway, Kyle Lowry is playing a very tough 38.3 minutes a game, and Van Bleet's playing a pretty tough 36.3. Uh, Nurse has talked about how they'd like to have that down around 32, maybe 34 for Van Bleet. Um, I hope that that happens once guys get back, because as much as they can manage it with days off and no practicing and stuff like that, and we don't have all the information, those 40-minute nights are going to continue to bother me Yeah, no, when Kyle, I look at the box score. Yeah, I, I noted it in my article. I tweeted it out. He's played at least 40 minutes five times in the last nine games, uh, so since the Detroit injury game and in his previous 158 regular season games he played at least 40 minutes 11 times so uh you can do the math that's uh that's an uptick in uh in percentage and rate and uh all that stuff he's playing he's playing a lot and those are hard minutes and he's being counted on for a lot and uh he's playing pretty brilliantly but it's hard for somebody who's so comparatively small and, you know, will be 34 in March, it's hard to maintain that. So, I mean, hopefully no, the return of Matt Thomas and Norm Powell can ease that at least a little bit. And then should the Raptors ever get fully healthy, we can, uh, the Raptors can ease that even more. Yeah. And this three game over 10 day stretch is probably very well timed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, nobody's nobody's going to hate on it. That's for sure. Uh, in terms of that starting lineup that we talked about tweaking, uh, they've slowly ticked upwards. They're a minus 8.7 net rating now over 135 minutes. Um, I like that Nurse has started that way, but not been committed to playing them like 18 minutes a game necessarily. Uh, they have not been good overall, but they've started ticking in the right direction. Um, the real answer, though, I think if you look at the on-off numbers and the impact numbers. They need to start Terrence Davis, Malcolm Miller, and O'Shea Brissett all together. Yeah. Um... Terrence Davis, I, I'm I'm joking about O'Shea Brissett and Malcolm Miller because they have enormous net ratings in small minutes. Terrence Davis has played over 600 minutes now and has a plus 12.4 net rating. And like all of the advanced metrics like player impact plus minus and like stable RPM and things like that are grading him as like the most impactful rookie so far. He's good. Like he's, he's good. I mean, that like those things might be overstating how good he's been this year, but of course. You know, to my eyes, like generally good things happen when he's on the floor and he's responsible for at least some of those things. Um, uh, you know, if you're going to try and get Lowry and Van Vliet's minutes down in the interim, I think an easy answer would be to play Terrence Davis a bit more right now. Um, I also that's think something an I would to, be a, I would be in favor of probably. I also think if you want three ball handlers in the starting lineup and you want to juice the offense a little bit more, 
Terrence Davis in the Patrick McCaw role wouldn't be uh, an experiment that I'd argue with either. No, that just makes them a bit small, although McCaw is so slight of build that I'm not sure how much that matters. And, and Davis does have the uh, the long wingspan, if I'm, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Like McCaw's 6'5", 185. I don't think Terrence Davis mm. at like 6'4", 200 is functionally all that much smaller. For some reason, I thought McCaw was 6'7". But McCaw I'm... is listed at 6'7 okay. on NBA.com, <laughs> but I, I believe the updates in the offseason when they had to certify them did yeah. not list him at 6'7". All right. Well, good to know. Either way, I don't think height is the best measure of like no, the effective of course, size of course. I, I, and I think McCaw is a better defender than, uh, yeah, that's, than that part than true. Terrence Davis. But again, if you're looking to make decisions based on the part of the team that's struggling right now, I think Terrence Davis is an answer. And uh, he's Nick Nurse has used it a bit uh, the three guards together, but not that much and uh yeah i certainly wouldn't be against seeing seeing more of that although it does limit what you can do defensively and how much you can switch and maybe it makes rebounding uh which has been a concern on some nights more of a problem but look your three of your most important players are out you're always sacrificing something yeah mostly i just want to if if the mentality is let's experiment and try new things i just want to try a few more new things while while they're there and while that window's open yeah, that's valid. Which I think is fine. I I mean, it would mean breaking up the Terrence Davis, Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, Chris Boucher bench trio that's been so fun, where they actually can't run functional offense, but they just grab every single offensive rebound. And then on defense, there's no room to dribble or breathe. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the hardest thing. Like, it's it must be the hardest thing to game plan for when your opponent doesn't know what's going to happen possession to possession. So how could you possibly prepare for it? Yeah. It's great. Uh, they're fun. All right, Eric. Anything else you're looking for in particular with the week ahead? I'm looking forward to not traveling because I had a bit of a day yesterday and it was at risk if I would get home. It was in doubt whether I'd get home and be able to uh, record this podcast, as I said. So glad. You made it. Glad to not do that um, again until... Two weekends from now, uh, I believe. Who can keep track? And that one's a driving things? one, right? No, no. That's at the end of the month. This one's flying to Minnesota. Oh, the Minnesota. Flying Atlanta to Minnesota. One. What The day of a game. What could go wrong there in January? Nothing. <laughs> well, I'll be... Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. say what I'm going to be doing then. Yeah. But. but yes, you are similarly uh, at risk of some travel. Had to, Well, not similarly. You're definitely more at risk for some travel headaches i i would guess i think that's fair to say um but i think we we covered the raptors pretty well um which is what we're sort of supposed to do here uh who is your new japan wrestler to watch in 2020 um yeah is this the year of tai chi again like the concept and practice of tai chi is a lord tai chi Okay. Tai Chi is the guy that, do you remember I had those stupid threads last year where every time there was bad Celtics or Wizards news, I would post the New Japan meme? Um, this seems vaguely familiar, but you... you tai, tai Chi you, was the you guy do, I used for the Celtics. You do tweet a lot of wrestlers that I don't recognize. Esoteric stuff, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Anyhow. I'm just kidding around. I think we covered the Raptors sufficiently. I think we have... 
podcasted sufficiently. So, Eric, I'm going to let you go, and we'll talk to these people again early next week, I think. See ya! See ya!